Welcome to the ASHP official podcast, your guide to issues related to medication use, public health, and the profession of pharmacy. Thank you for joining us in this episode of Community Pharmacy Podcast, where we sit down with community pharmacy practitioners and leaders to discuss topics relevant to the advancement of community-based pharmacy workforce, business practices, and our profession. My name is Gina Galanulucin. I'm the director of the section of Community Pharmacy Practitioners in the section of Pharmacy Educators. And today we have here Dr. Garrett Schramm, the Director of Pharmacy Education and Academic Affairs at Mayo Clinic in Rochester. Welcome, Garrett. Thanks, Gina. I really appreciate the opportunity um, to talk with you today. And, and also want to thank you and ASHP for everything that you've done to advance the profession. I'm excited to be here. Thanks. Oh, we're happy to have you. It's such an important conversation to be had today. So we are going to be talking a little bit about advancement of community pharmacy programs and training, especially with regards to residencies. But before we dive in, I wanted to spend a few moments and talk about your role as the Director of Pharmacy Education and Academic Affairs. Um, it's a unique title, and obviously we can tell from the title the emphasis is on training, but can you talk about your responsibilities, some of your goals, and, and what that entails for us? Yeah, sure. It, it, it most definitely um, is a unique role um, and one that I have at Mayo Clinic, and it certainly keeps me busy. Um, you know, for some background, maybe starting with that, um, I used to practice as an ICU pharmacist, but like many of us, uh, somehow found my way into administration and in particular pharmacy education. And, and now my day is really filled with three buckets, um, you know, staff training, continuing education, and then experiential training. And then when you look at staff training, um, I have a great group of colleagues that I work with, and we oversee orientation training competencies for about 1,300 pharmacists and, and pharmacy technicians across the Midwest. That other bucket, you know, the continuing education, I am a director of pharmacy education for the Mayo Clinic School of Continuous Professional Development. And, and that really allows Mayo to offer ACPE, but equally important um, to Mayo is that interdisciplinary education. So I have a big role with that. Probably my favorite part, um, you know, they're all, they're all favorites, but, you know, maybe a little bit of a lead there. My favorite part is the experiential arm of my role. I'm an internship program director. I oversee all of our API programs. Um, I work side by side with our, our pharmacy technician program director at Mayo Clinic as well. And then on top of that, um, I get to help oversee 17 different PGY-1 and PGY-2 residencies across the Midwest. So I have the good fortune I get to work with our residency program directors, our assistant program directors, and, and all of our residents. And my role related to that, Gina, honestly, is making sure we're A, meeting ASHP accreditation standards, but B, looking for opportunities for that continuous improvement. Big picture, I'm also really fortunate to work for an organization and department that has put a premium um, on education and training. Mayo Clinic Pharmacy Residencies has been around since 1972. So you think about this, you know, we are, we are 50 years into pharmacy residency training. And like any organization, you know, how, how do we decide or when do we decide it's it's time to add a new program like a, a PGY1 community? And, and really it comes back to, you know, where do we see our projected hiring needs in the future? And equally important is what is the practice asking of us? You know, what, what are our provider colleagues expecting of our pharmacists? And so we, we, we put those two together to really come up with an idea of, of when to strategically align, you know, our, our growth in residency programs to, to meet our institution needs. Um, related to that, I had just mentioned, you know, we're looking and, and are expanding into PGY-1 community residencies as an organization. Um, for, for us and for, for listeners who, who started a residency, uh, we know that's not an easy task. 
um, there's a lot of work that goes into starting a residency. And so thankfully, you know, over the past decade, I've, I've been in this role since 2009. And I've started a lot of residency programs um, across the Midwest. We actually have seen about a 200% growth um, in our PGY1 and PGY2 programs. And so I'm fortunate as, as we you know, venture into this new arena of starting PGY1 community residencies. It's it's somewhat natural. I've done this before. Um, there's a little bit different twist um, to a PGY1 community, which I'm learning a lot about even in my role for the last decade. But whether it's a PGY1 or PGY2, a lot of what we do, we really do carry forward certain components of our residencies from one program to the next. I don't want to say we, we you know, kind of rinse and repeat, but there's certain elements of our program where it's like, okay, we, we have a research curriculum. We have a quality improvement curriculum. We have a teaching and learning certificate, and, and those are going to be you know, carried over into a new PGY-1 program. So the lift for a new residency program director to start a program um, in our organization, is, it's much, much less. Certainly, there are program-specific elements we need to focus on, but overall, I think that lift is, is a lot easier. And so we're going to start out by doing a PGY-1 community program at one of our health system sites, Mayo Clinic Health System in Eau Claire, Wisconsin. As well as Mail Arizona are starting PGY1 community programs here coming in July of 2022. And then right after that, we're going to add uh, multiple positions to Mayo Clinic um, in Rochester, Minnesota. So we've done inpatient, we've done AMCare, we've done informatics, we've done admin, we just haven't done community. And so our next big area that, that we're aggressively pursuing is expansion into, into community pharmacy residencies. I think it's important that you have that background and 50 years of residency is a long time to really get it right, or at least get a process going to continue to expand. You explored a little bit of, of that, but I want to go into it a little bit more. So you noted that when you have a new program, when you're evaluating where to go next and how to grow the training within your institution, there are different steps and elements that you look at. What makes sense and why should we go that direction or what kind of program it should be? And you also noted an emphasis in growth of community-based pharmacy residency programs within the institution across the nation for Mayo. So can you help the listeners identify some of the interest and some of the reasoning behind what sparked that decision that maybe helped them in their own institution as they're thinking through options for growth? Yeah, yeah, it, it, it's it's a it's a great question, Gina. I think it's not just one thing that really sparked this decision to you know to to go down this pathway of expanding community residencies. It's a host of factors. Uh, many of our, our our listeners may not know, but an organization like Mayo Clinic, it, it's not just a clinic. It, it's it's hospital practice, it's ambulatory care clinics, it's community. It's everything wrapped into one um, as a large organization. But honestly, up until the, the last decade or so, when we think about our practice as an organization, everything was independent. Um, you know, small community hospitals, the pharmacies, you know, were completely independent. Community pharmacy wasn't part of our department. And our former chief pharmacy officer, uh, Kevin Dillon at Mayo Clinic, he, he really had the vision to say, well, why, what are we doing? Like, why are we all running independently? We're all pharmacists. We're all in the pharmacy profession. And so he led the charge to integrate, um, you know, the, the integration of, of one department at Mayo Clinic. And I think that really set things off for us, Gina. Um, it, it certainly opened my eyes on how inpatient practice can't happen independently of the community practice and can't happen independently of ambulatory care practices. And, and that, that to me is really where it became glaringly evident that we need to work as one and you can't you can't reach those new heights as as a profession if we're not all on the same page 
I, I guess I kind of look at, you know, as an analogy, I'm like, you know, historically we had had hospital practice and, and, and ambulatory care. So we, we had two legs of this stool and it's not stable. And, and that third leg of that stool that we needed was community pharmacy to be at the table. And, and once we did that, it just took off. And so I think that really sparked the decision eventually to start thinking about how do we expand training opportunities in the community environment is because we're all sitting at the exact same table, having the same discussions and appreciating, you know, what were the challenges and how we could work together to resolve those. I think the other big factor um, for starting a PGY-1 across our, our organization is that like all areas um, in our profession, we need to invest in future leaders. Um, I, I think that that's nothing new, but we really need to think about, you know, how can we develop those individuals? I, I look back at our hospital-based programs and our AMCARE programs, and, and honestly, Gina, some of our best leaders in our department at Mayo Clinic were graduates of our program or even other residency programs from across the U.S., and Honestly, I, I think we have equally awesome leaders in our in our in our community pharmacies at Mayo Clinic as well. But what they're doing, and I didn't know this, you know, I didn't directly observe what my colleagues were doing in the community practice settings. And and I'm embarrassed to say that, you know, I had worked at this organization for for a long time and didn't really appreciate, you know, what my colleagues in other areas were doing. And once I figured that out, it was like, this is way too cool. Um, we, we have got to share this with somebody. My colleagues in the walk-up pharmacies, specialty phar pharmacies, mail order, compounding, like all these areas that I didn't know existed um, in my own organization. I, I just saw that and, and the wealth of information that my colleagues in community pharmacy have. And that to me was, it just clicked for me. I was like, we have got to share this. We have got to share this with resident trainees who are then going to develop, you know, the, that skill set, leadership opportunities to really advance the profession. Because if we do that, um, at the end of the day, as an organization, we win. And most importantly, I think our patients win as well. So it's a no-brainer for me. You spoke about care integration, and I think that's probably one of the most important goals for all of us to strive. It's ASHP has been focused on this for a number of years, and the new section obviously focuses us even further in that and identifying that three-legged stool, as you said, and finding the balance of ensuring that our patients get the best care that they can. So there is obviously a, a strong infrastructure within Mayo and a lot of different residency programs and a lot of opportunities. And I wanted to, to share a little bit about how do you envision integrating your community-based residents into the health system and into the practice and the research and all the different components and any specific structure or projects you anticipate they'll be most heavily involved with, especially as you get started in the first couple of years. Yeah, sure. I think that you're spot on the integration, you know, and, and obviously in an organization like me, I'll be the first to admit I, I kind of live in a bubble, you know, where integration and, and teamwork, you know, really has been at our core, you know, for 150 plus years. So I feel like I've got it a little bit easier, uh, maybe than some of my colleagues across the country. But as far as integrating a community resident into an, a health system, an organization, for me, I, I think you alluded to this. I think the groundwork's already been been laid, you know. So when Mayo Clinic decided to integrate AmCare Hospital and community pharmacies as one, where everybody's sitting at the table, I think that really set out, you know, kind of this, you know, domino effect to be able to accomplish um, starting programs. All of our leaders from all of our sites, um, our, our practices, we work together every day. So when a resident walks into our program, they're going to be able to see that. Um, they're going to be able to see those relationships that are already formed. 
And they're not going to have to break down those barriers that maybe, you know, other organizations have between community and hospital and ambulatory care. So I think we're very fortunate there. It's all about relationships. And I think, you know, that's that's first step. You know, when I think about my colleagues and, you know, regardless of practice setting, one of my biggest mentors is, is the director of, of outpatient pharmacy at Mayo. Um, her name's Andrea Swanson. And, and she is a wealth of knowledge that quite honestly, you know, prior to our integration, I, I didn't know, I, I had never met Andrea. And, and, and she, she really is someone that I look up to from a relationship standpoint, from a mentor standpoint. And, you know, think of the irony here. You have, you have a former ICU pharmacist, me, who is, you know, being mentored by the director of outpatient pharmacy. And, and that alone, you know, I think tells you the story of like how we need to work together and appreciate different roles. But that's exactly what I hope residents see when they come into our program is, is we're one team, we're working together for a singular goal. And so I think that's that's an important part is we, we have that component there. We have those relationships established. I think that's critical um, in starting a program. Opportunities, where do I see opportunities where we can incorporate our residents you know, into um, projects and things like that and kind of break down those barriers between hospital and community? For, for me, Gina, I think it's projects. You know, if we think about quality improvement and research, um, so many of the resident-led QI projects that we have done um, as an organization, we need frontline community pharmacists to weigh in or even lead these projects because they can't happen independently, you know, in a silo. And so we're seeing that, um, you know, projects like, you know, meds to bed collaboration, you know, between inpatient and outpatient, that doesn't happen if you don't talk to each other. Other things, you know, for example, you know, transitions of care. And we hear this all the time, you know, some of the challenges you know, even sharing the same electronic health record, you know, an input that our outpatient colleagues say, geez, this would be so nice if we could see the notes or understand what happened on the inpatient side, you know, to better serve our patients and, you know, in the community. So that's a huge opportunity. And then other unique thing, some of my colleagues at Mayo Clinic Health System in Eau Claire recently did a hospital at home. Um, and so, you know, growing momentum nationally for the whole concept of, you know, acute care, you know, in the home for our patients. And when you think about that, that does not happen um, without community pharmacists. It just, just, it does not happen. And so getting residents involved in projects, you know, QI or research or, you know, pilot programs like that. I mean, it's just, it's just a ripe opportunity for us as a profession to really take advantage of it. And, and thankfully, again, I'll be the first to admit I work for an organization and a department that has a, a paramount focus on education and training. So I don't have those maybe, you know, kind of other challenges that our, our colleagues across the country may have to justify this. So I'm very fortunate, but we're, we're looking forward to make that a reality and, and incorporating our community residents right into that. And, and projects are going to be a big part to help drive that forward. It's great to hear that you have so many supporters of this program and a lot of individuals who are willing to step in and mentor you and provide that opportunity to get a glimpse into community pharmacy practice, which not everyone has, you know, and vice versa, really opening up the doors from both sides and seeing how we can collaborate. So you mentioned several times, Mayo has been very helpful and very supportive of growth, but I think it's important to explore some challenges too. And it, you know, some that you maybe have encountered or things you anticipate others might encounter as they're going into opening this door and this opportunity for their institution, which for some programs, this may have never happened before. This may have been the first 
um, venture into community pharmacy practice. So can you share some of the challenges and then some strategies maybe that you use to advocate for the extension of the program? Yeah, sure. I mean, at baseline, there's always going to be challenges, right? When starting a residency program, you know, securing FTE and, and benefits and trying to get, you know, our residency program directors dedicated time. I think that's critical. Um, and, and, you know, as we look forward, you know, when, if you're starting a new program, you know, regardless of setting, you've got to think about giving your program directors dedicated time, you know, to run the residency. But I, on top of that, honestly, I think, I think the biggest challenge for Mayo Clinic is probably, you know, our own profession um, at times. And I guess what I mean by that is I'll put myself in a situation. Years ago, when I heard the word residency, I automatically defaulted to it's hospital-based. And, and, and I don't think I'm alone in that. And, and I think we need to start challenging that mindset that residency is agnostic of setting, right? It, it, it can be community, it can be AmCare, informatics, admin, whatever it is. And so, you know, once we get past that, the, I think the other source maybe of, of hesitation may come from community pharmacists themselves um, who have not been involved in residency training. You know, they may have had lots of interns or appy students, but maybe never a residency or maybe didn't do a residency themselves. And, and I think that for me is an opportunity. Um, it, it's, you know, it's easy for me as a, as a director of pharmacy education to say, hey, look, let, let's start a PGY1 community residency. But Gina, at the end of the day, I'm not the frontline pharmacist in the community setting who's going to be doing the precepting. And so you, you've really got to have these baseline discussions and, and listen to your colleagues about, you know, the why and, and any, any hesitation or, you know, concerns that they have, you know, it's like, I've got a busy practice and I don't know how I could possibly incorporate a resident or do due diligence, you know, to teach a resident in that environment. And and that really, I mean, leadership needs to hear that as well. You've got to create an environment that's going to be successful for our residents to learn. And so I think our own profession at times, you know, is, is probably questioning this as much as anybody else. Um, I, you know, recommending starting there and having those open discussions exactly as we did. I, I had meetings at Mayo Clinic where I sat down, you know, with the director of outpatient and then, you know, eventually went to the supervisors and managers and started talking to frontline staff. And, and it took a little bit of time for people to, you know, to kind of understand the why. Why are we doing this? Another area I think that's important for pharmacists to think about is what does a community PGY1 resident do? If you asked me 15 years ago, what does a PGY1 community resident do? I would have been that person that said, oh, they, they dispense. And you know what? That That is... I look back at that and and I and I and I smile and I even laugh at myself in that regard because that's like saying like a PGY1 hospital resident only does staffing. It, it is a minor part of what they do, right? I mean, if, if you were to pick up a copy of the, of the PGY1 community pharmacy standards and competency areas and goals and objectives, it's leadership, it's management, it's it's practice development through through new programs, it's education, it's training. You know, the, the dispensing part is, is a minor, minor factor in all of this. And I think that is a huge misnomer when people think about PGY1 community residency. So again, you know, we need to challenge ourselves as pharmacists and the pharmacy profession. We may think we know, you know what a particular residency program does. The reality is, is you need to take the time as a pharmacist to jump in and see what competency areas, goals, and objectives are being taught through those accreditation standards. And, and it will open your eyes about how expansive of a residency of a community program is. I, I should also note, we're talking about standards and competency areas and goals and objectives. Um, I, I believe ASHP also is working on updating those standards and streamlining those standards. So 
more to come on that. I think, you know, kudos to ASHP, you know, for recognizing that and the, the continual development and update for those standards. So I'm, I'm excited to see what comes out of those and, and how they further streamline all PGY-1 programs, not just hospital and or community. Your description really hits home with me. I, I myself have completed a PGY-1 community-based residency. And I think the number one question, whenever I shared my long title as most community residents have, is it was, what do you do other than dispensing? And you just, you just have to share that it's such a small part, you know, there's that leadership, there's a clinical practice, it's just a whole new area of the world and patient care that we need to educate each other on and, and help kind of push that message forward so that we can advocate for our profession as a whole. But I think the good news is that we are seeing a lot of programs seeing and recognizing the need for community-based programs and expanding that area of practice. We've seen a growth of over 40% in the number of community-based residency programs just in the past five years. So this is a good news message, I think, overall, and, and hopefully we'll continue to see that go up even more. But let's, and I think it's been mentioned throughout the podcast, and as we've been talking in different questions, and you've been sharing the importance, but I think it might be good to summarize, why do you think community-based pharmacy residences are important for practice, and why should we continue to advocate for their growth? Yeah, it's, yeah, very well, um, you know, summarized there. I think, you know, we had previously talked, you know, on the podcast here about the importance of creating a pipeline of leaders in all areas of, of pharmacy practice, including the community setting. I think all of our listeners can honestly agree that the more people that we train early on um, in the areas of, of leadership roles and responsibilities, the, the better off we're going to be. And I'm a firm believer that that residency programs give the opportunity for pharmacy residents to to really refine those leadership skills so they're not immediately placed in an environment without any support, training, background on how to be a leader. And so I think that that can't be emphasized enough of of the importance of leadership development skills um, during residency and, and really the importance of that for community pharmacy residencies to grow. I can't speak for other organizations, Gina, as far as, you know, opportunities and and the resources that they dedicate, you know, to developing, you know, residents and staff. But I I go back to what I said previously of, I I think about right now at at Mayo Clinic and Mayo Clinic Health System, you know, are our community pharmacists, you know, given the opportunity to focus on quality improvement and research and teaching and all that. And and honestly, I think like many organizations, I would say we certainly have room for improvement um, to offer those uh, opportunities, but a residency is going to help drive that change. I, I see that firsthand. Whenever we start a brand new residency, it drives change faster than anything that can happen at the C-suite level or leaders sitting down about what are we going to do. Residents drive change. And so I think that's very important um, you know, to the practice to, to incorporate residents into that model. The other area I think, you know, as far as expansion of PGY-1 residencies being critical is we are constantly asking our community pharmacists to know more. They literally have to be an expert in every disease state. And then on top of that, you know, we have these highly complex and specialized cares and, you know, you know, stuff that goes through specialty pharmacies versus other things. And, and I honestly, I don't know how my colleagues in the community setting do it, but I also know that if, if we do not create a program that trains individuals for that future role, um, we're going to be in a tough situation. And so I think a residency program in, in the community setting is going to be an opportunity for us to be most successful not only from a, a pharmacy profession standpoint, but healthcare overall. I'm looking ahead and, and I mean, the writing's on the wall. If, if you look at things like artificial intelligence, um, we're, we're moving patients from acute care settings, you know, to more of this, you know, 
you know, home health, you know, approach. Really what we're asking our, our community pharmacists to be expert in is it's a Herculean effort. I mean, it, it's, it's really hard, but rather than succumbing to that, you know, throw the towel in kind of pressure, I, I think it's a great opportunity for us to be proactive and, and let us have a say in, in where the, the practice of community pharmacy goes rather than, you know, letting the situation dictate where we go as a profession. So lots of opportunity. And again, I'll, I'll hang my hat on, you know, pharmacy residencies drive change. And organizations, you know, need to look at every opportunity to, to really incorporate these. It's it's exciting. You brought up a good point of every 10 years, we almost see practice change and something different. So when you're looking at the uh, forward, what kind of practice do you want to see? And, and how can we shape that narrative as pharmacy itself? How do we train our own staff and future leaders to become what we want them to be for patient care? So well said there in, in all points. So I'm sad in closing today's podcast, but you have been saying a lot about your biggest supporters and successes in advocating. You've mentioned some of your mentors, you've mentioned some of the departments, some of the divisions, and some of your own thoughts. So any advice for leaders interested in establishing and growing their residency program that you have from your experience so far? Yeah, sure. I think first and foremost, like like anytime you're trying to grow and expand um, services, you've got to find the right champions. And you know, that, that may look different uh, for different individuals, different organizations. It's not just the C-suite um, that you have to justify this to. But I, I would say even before that, and, and arguably most important, is frontline pharmacists in the community setting. They are the ones that they know what needs to change to advance the, the profession. So we need to start with them um, in this discussion. But we also can't ignore the fact that we have to pull leaders in from the other areas of our profession, like I'm a firm believer after observing what we've done at Mayo Clinic, you've got to pull in your community pharmacy leaders, your inpatient leaders, and your AMCARE leaders to be at the table when talking about residency program creation, because that allows us to relay information of, you know, what, what are our challenges, you know, between transitions of care? What are the things that we need to fix? And how can the residency program, you know, be a conduit to that change? And so C-suite frontline pharmacists are, are certainly a, a big part of that. And certainly, you know, pharmacist peers, you know, being aware that this is, you know, a community residency and this is what it's here for, you know, kind of telling people what's the why, why are we doing this? Another area of advice that I would offer um, to our listeners is, is you know, be prepared if, if there's hesitation, even from the frontline staff. And, and you've really got to sell this buy-in and really reframe the concept of starting a new PGY-1 community residency. You're going to hear that we've never done this before. You know, I'm not comfortable with this. I have never precepted a resident. And you know what? That's fine. We've got to start somewhere. Um, every residency program um, can say that exact same argument. And so, yeah, I'll be the first to admit it's intimidating to start a new program. But if you answer the why are we doing this up front and then circle back to that every time and reframe everything that comes along with it. If people know the why, I think the buy-in comes much quicker. Other ideas, and this is something that we actually did locally here in, in Rochester, Minnesota, is if if people are hesitant about having learners, think of, of younger learners, interns, you know, appy students, whoever, and maybe start there to get that comfort level with precepting started. You know, a quick sidebar here, Gina, uh, last summer, um, so we had nine pharmacy interns here in Rochester for a 10-week program. And it was the first time that we, had, we had transitioned this program to be 100% project-based. And I had a call for, you know, quality improvement topics. And, you know, the majority of ideas um, came from my community pharmacist colleagues. And so that was the very first time that some of them had an opportunity to mentor a project that directly helped them in their role. 
And I think that is critical of like, okay, here's some free help for 10 weeks. This individual, so they, they, these students had just finished their P2 year. And, and honestly, I can speak for my, my colleagues. They were just absolutely floored at what these students brought um, and the changes that they imparted through a quality improvement project that directly helped them. And I think that was just like spark, you know, it, it wasn't a spark. It was a huge firework of opportunity of like, okay, this is what, you know, residents do and what they can do to advance our practice. So if, if people have hesitations, start with those, you know, have them work on projects, quality improvement or research, whatever it may be. And, and our pharmacists will see directly the impact that they can have. Other things for me personally, and this is going way back, you know, so this is, this is dating me a little bit, but I'm a big advocate of ASHP's um, residency program, design and conduct workshops. For the, I, I attended that for the first time in 2009 as a newbie, as a new program director. And, and I'll be the first to admit, um, it, it was pretty intimidating. Like residency accreditation lingo is something that doesn't come natural. Um, it was new to me. And I remember sitting in those workshops and, and thinking like, wow, like I, I have no idea what's going on. These standards and competency areas and goals and objectives. And, you know, like the next day I figured out that, you know, that the, the acronym KGO actually was referring to competency areas, goals and objectives. It took me like 24 hours to figure that out. But it was it was very beneficial as a new program director to attend those workshops. And in fact, I went back as an existing program director and it made even more sense. And I got to ask my colleagues across the country, like, hey, how are you doing this? Or what are you guys doing to achieve this particular goal? And you get to pick the brains of, of lead surveyors, um, you know, that are putting these these workshops on. So I am a huge advocate of that program. It, it personally, you know, gave me a lot of guidance. And then the other factor of this is, you know, hopefully today, you know, we've got some individuals listening in who are, are going to be excited about the opportunity to start a community residency is what's the ideal environment? Like, where do I start one? And, you know, certainly when we look at, you know, healthcare organizations, if your organization is, is similar to Mayo Clinic, where you have inpatient and care and community pharmacies all under one roof, awesome. If they're on the same electronic health record, even better. Um, that, that, that's a great opportunity. So, so if, if you're in that bucket of healthcare organizations, um, this is a, a great opportunity for you, you know, to start a program. But if you don't, it, it may be, you know, you're a, a community pharmacy and you have a community hospital and they're independent of each other. There's no reason you can't start a residency and collaborate between the two organizations. And I think so if you're in that situation, think of that as an opportunity Maybe a few things to work around if you're not under the you know the same EHR or something like that. But those are things that can be overcome. And then I think the other thing too is is there's that kind of third opportunity if maybe you want to start a community residency, but you know you don't have that relationship you know with the the AmCare or hospital you know based programs in your region. Don't forget about your colleges of pharmacy. You know I'm gonna I'm gonna give a shout out to my own alma mater. You know South Dakota State University. You know did exactly that. You know the, the community pharmacy partnered with the College of Pharmacy to start a program, and I think it works exceptionally well for them. So there, there's lots of different avenues. Um, you got to do what works best for for you and your organization. But but most importantly, you know kind of in closing here, I think we need to be equally aggressive with starting PGY one community residencies as we are with any other type of residency. And I'm, I'm happy that Mayo Clinic and Mayo Clinic Health System are, are jumping into this head first. Um, it's something that it's really invigorating me um, as, as the director of pharmacy education to think about all the, the possibilities that, that this is gonna open up for not only our practice, but 
equally important um, our patients. So again, I, I really do appreciate the opportunity um, to talk about community residencies, Gina, and, and for having me on. Certainly, you know, happy to answer questions from many of our colleagues across the country. You know, we, we've, you know, in, in the beginning stages of this as an organization, and we're learning a lot and happy to share with others if the, if the opportunity arises. Thank you so very much. This has been very helpful and hopefully inspired a few of our colleagues out there to do the same, or if they're in the trenches, maybe give them a little bit of support knowing that it can be done and others are fighting the same battle along the way. This has been incredible. I appreciate your time today. Thanks for joining us. If you haven't before, for those listening, I encourage you to check out ASHP's online resources for community pharmacy practitioners. Um, and also for residency program directors, our Garrett, as Garrett mentioned, there's a lot of opportunity, including the workshop and other advice that you can get from colleagues. You can find a member-exclusive offerings such as the Community Pharmacy Resource Center and a catalog of clinical resource centers and more. Thanks again for all for joining us in this episode of Community Pharmacy Podcast. We hope you enjoyed today's conversation and be sure to subscribe to the ASHP podcast for more great content. Thank you for listening to ASHP Official, the voice of pharmacists advancing healthcare. Be sure to visit ashp.org forward slash podcast to discover more great episodes, access show notes, and download the episode transcript. If you loved the episode and want to hear more, be sure to subscribe, rate, or leave a review. Join us next time on ASHP Official.